This podcast is recorded on the lands of the Wurundjeri people of the Kulin Nation. The country we now call Australia was built on the stolen lands of hundreds of unique Indigenous nations, and we recognise that as white women, we continue to partake in and benefit from the act of colonisation. We pay our respects to Elders past, present and emerging. Welcome to Book Slut, a podcast bringing erotica out of the gutter and into a snobbier gutter. Hi, my name is Abby. And I'm Sam. It should go without saying that this podcast is not safe for work, so put your headphones in. Testing the microphone. Testing the microphone. Testing. (laughs) Shreps. You're a burp or you throw up? <laughs> yeah, no, I'm going to burp, but it's not quite ready yet, so okay, be prepared okay. to edit that out. All right. <laughs> so this fortnight, I want to talk about class. <laughs> it's just small topic. Yeah, because I felt like, you know, we've been talking a lot about kind of really niche issues that have been happening in romance, and I, I think a lot of what we've read actually has involved real kind of classist themes definitely and so I decided you know how about we actually address this head on so we were talking about it and I was like you know what we've read so much about billionaires and whatever I would really just love to find something that flips that on its head and has a woman who's a billionaire yeah so I found a book on Amazon (laughs) speaking of class (laughs) That um, was called Love and Money, a BWWM billionaire romance like no other. And we spoke about what BWWM means. Essentially, it's a, a romance genre with black women, white men. But I think the black woman, white man um, genre is actually quite large. Yeah, okay. A lot of it written by African-American women, which this book is also written by. Esther Banks is her name. So obviously the romance genre has race issues and we've spoken about it a bit before in the uh, side note that we did on the Romance Writers Guild, but it's intrinsic and it goes throughout so many of these books and uh, we definitely want to talk about it. It's been something that we've had on our minds for a long time, but as white women, we're kind of hoping that uh, we'll be able to chat to someone with lived experience so that we're not kind of preaching to the choir essentially on this so there are so there are a lot of race issues that go throughout this book written by a black woman about a black woman and we'll touch on it but we're not going to dive too deeply into it in this episode it's just going to be about the class differences I think yeah I think it's good to scope it down that way while keeping in mind that there is a level of intersectionality with all of these things like we often talk about things from a gendered perspective as is kind of like our our focus for a lot of the time. But I just don't think it's possible to completely remove that discussion from conversations around class and around race. Um, Yeah, absolutely. And there are some kind of points of this book that were quite interesting for me 
to think from a kind of critical race perspective that were, that would just kind of throw away, throw away lines. Yeah, okay. That I was like, well, that's kind of interesting. So, sorry, I'll go back to the beginning. At the beginning of this story, I was like so into it. I thought it was <laughs> quite cool. There's this kind of really empowered independent black woman who is a billionaire she's taking over her dad's company and her dad's a billionaire because that's the only way that people become billionaires right well keep that in mind (laughs) (laughs) yeah exactly and her name is Tamara she speaks four languages fluently and is just kind of like she's just kind of great she's I I quite enjoyed her as a character but there is this point where she's going home to her family's home and it's this mansion and I don't actually know where the where the story is set, but, and it's noted in the book, the house was owned by slave owners yeah, or right. human traffickers, realistically. And she says that, you know, her mum ha- takes a certain amount of pride in owning a house that was once owned by these people. In a sense of like taking it back. In a sense of showing, you know, like how far the world has come that a black family can own yeah. this kind of house. So it does come up throughout the book yep. quite a bit, but, um, it doesn't really come up in the relationship between the two characters. Which surprises me, really. I I feel like it would. Yeah, I guess maybe it's like... I mean, and this is fundamentally kind of where I'm going with the class discussion. It's just not sexy. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) You know? like Yeah. (laughs) Like, it's kind of like maybe it's outside of the ambit of, of romance to an extent to have that. Like, how much can you include that kind of narrative and conversation and, like, critique in a romance book and it still be a good Sexy. time <laughs> yeah yeah exactly and if you're talking about escapism like i i do fundamentally believe that the things that we read should be informed by these sorts of things and, and should include them in a certain way but maybe not to the extent of like paragraphs on the issues that are surrounding these matters yeah and you know what it makes me think of as well as i think way back Way back in, like, I don't know, episode three or four, I don't know when it was, we spoke about sort of, like, the origin of this idea of pornography and what was erotic and that that used to be regarded as kind of, like, anything that was outside of the norm in terms of um, satire, critical thinking about religion, critical thinking about politics, all of that stuff around the sex that used to sort of form part of this idea of eroticism Mm. and how we've lost that now and we've kind of yeah turned into this this medium that's quite safe and like warm fuzzies and there's Mm. no place for discussions about race and class in a warm fuzzy book yeah but but they perpetuate it yes you know like in a lot of ways that's why i'm kind of like everything should be informed absolutely you can't it feels like like you can't get away with perpetuating without engaging with it critically yeah in my opinion like it's it's lazy yeah so so with this story it's about a woman called Tamara who's the billionaire who is taking over her company from her dad but it's it's there's a very big point in the book made that it's like it's not just nepotism she is a very you know whatever go-getter woman yeah okay she is having her 30th birthday at a club which sounds like, quite honestly, the worst club. I just like, I just, so I've got a description about the club because okay. I just really found sure. it quite great. The bar is called the White Tiger. Uh huh. It's a three level repurposed warehouse, completely white interior, 
from the elegant chandeliers that dangled overhead <laughs> to the zebra print chaise lounges oh, no. and booths that occupied all three floors. Why do, why do people feel like that's sexy? I don't know. All white would make me just be like, I'm going to dirty everything in here. Also, it's like clinical. <laughs> But she really loves this club, right? And right at the beginning, it's kind of, it's talking about her and she's there with her friends and it's this, you know, uh, it's a jazz lounge, but turns into like an R&B club on Fridays and Saturdays. (laughs) And um, then it swaps. So this book swaps point of views from her to the man who is called Jason. And um, pick a more white man. eh? Yeah. And it swaps to his point of view and he's talking about how the club actually makes him feel uncomfortable. Oh. Like, just because it's it's a bit fancy, it's a bit ritzy. And- Is it? <laughs> it doesn't sound like it. It's all white. It's got zebra chaise lounges. Isn't it funny how rich people, like, often just really lack any kind of taste? Any, t- any kind of class, <laughs> yeah. we could say. So, they're both there. He's, and then... Why is he there? Well, so this is kind of another, another kind of interesting thing that gets thrown out. He's there with his friend and his friend uh, really loves black women. Oh, okay. And so it's like this thing. Uh, If it's a thing, it's problematic. Yeah. So they meet at this bar um, he offers to buy her and her friends a drink and then she's like, oh, it's actually covered on the tab because I know the owner, right? So they have a really sexy dance. Oh. And to be honest, the sexy dance is quite hot. Oh, yeah. So we're like, we're, and then and then they kiss. And we're kind of right at the beginning of the book and I was feeling real optimistic You're like at this bright point. eyed, bushy tailed. <laughs> I was like, she's quite a badass. Fresh out of uni. <laughs> All the hopes and dreams <laughs> of the future. Waiting to be crushed. <laughs> yeah, she's she's quite cool. She's quite a cool character. He seems really normal, which is which is great. <laughs> like, what not about it? He seems a misogynist. He seems normal. <laughs> he seems like he's not awful. Why don't I have a boyfriend yet? <laughs> My standards are so high. <laughs> and then they have this quite hot sexy dance which is like a lot of grinding a lot of like you know just just feeling each other and as someone who enjoys a sexy dance I was I was quite into it at this point yeah and then they make out and that's that's pretty much it that's all on you the get dance floor on the dance floor okay yeah I've also been known for <laughs> yeah quite a few having seen many a time <laughs> For some reason, my like dislike of PDA yeah, it's does funny not extend to a dance floor. It doesn't translate anywhere else. Like you are very, I would say, standoffish <laughs> in any other context. Until I start dancing, you know. I don't know. <laughs> Bets are off at that point. I don't know. Then she turns up to work the next day, and she's taking over this new business, right? And um, he works for her. Oh. <gasps> No. <laughs> so he is actually the public relations, like the, the head of public relations for the company and quite like quite clued in. He has to present this uh, initial presentation to her and she's, she's very impressed by like his knowledge. And wait, so at this point is she like, whoops, made out with that guy. Yeah. I guess I'll listen to his presentation now. <laughs> 
Yeah, essentially, they're like, "Oh, we'll introduce you to the co- to the heads of the company." Oh, that's a whoops. Yeah, and then she's like, "Oh, okay, but that's fine. I'm a grown ass adult. Mistakes happen." Exactly. As long as you're not like fucking on the photocopier. Yeah. Or does that come? Well, <laughs> <laughs> sorry. <laughs> I'll let you take the reins again. <laughs> so then she's down a PA. Right. And so she decides to somehow manipulate the situation so that he will be her PA. That sounds like a bad plan. Right? And it's kind of like, you don't have to demote this man to date him. You know? Oh, is that a demotion for him? Well, I mean, like the head of public affairs to the personal assistant of the CEO. Oh, yeah, no, that's... (laughs) It's a weird move. Exactly, right? Like, it's, it's like, what skills does he have for this also, job? Also, like, if you recognize it, you're like, I'm attracted to this person. Maybe I don't want them to be my direct report. Exactly, right? Like, Or maybe I do. <laughs> depending on what <laughs> gets you off. <laughs> but I mean, it kind of made me think about the way this plays out for the male billionaire scenario, yeah, which is also quite similar. Normally yeah. it's like a secretary or a PA totally. or something that goes in and... And so it's, you know, relatively similar. Oh, and also he's six and a half feet. That's, that's tall. It's so tall. It's like, oh, God. he's this like massive this? piece of man muscle kind oh. of. <laughs> when was it written? I actually oh. didn't look. I'm sorry. I'm still recovering from <laughs> massive piece of man muscle. <laughs> I mean, that's paraphrased. Yeah, but let's not, let's not give them all of my ideas for my I mean, romantic novel. I feel like that's such a stereotypical thing that women are into. So one of the things that I was reading about the billionaire trope is essentially saying that it can be linked to patriarchal notions of like the carer mm-hmm. and, and, and the mm-hmm. father symbol. Yeah. Essentially. Thanks, that- Freud. <laughs> Yay. <laughs> that they have the means to take care of you. Yeah. Not just financially, but also physically because they're, ripped yeah and so in this instance where he doesn't have the means to take care of this woman uh financially because she has her own means it becomes kind of like more important that he's like this tall ripped dude i mean i don't know maybe that's me reading too much into it but we do have a podcast entirely based on this (laughs) is to read too much into it we should have just called it reading too much into shit (laughs) Um, and there is this point later on in their relationship where, you know, they go, they go out for a date or whatever. And this is quite, there's a lot of build up in this relationship. It's like, I mean, welcome to romance. Yeah. He's at PA for a fucking long time. And, um. Why would he accept that demotion? Yeah. I don't know. Was he just like, I just want to be close to you. (laughs) No, no, he wasn't. My name's Jason. (laughs) (laughs) My name's Jason. I'm a white man. No, he was very like, this is unprofessional. You know, like he was quite upset by it. Yeah, um, okay. But it felt like he kind of didn't really have an option. Oh, no. Um, but he, they go on a date and he pays for the date. Like he pays for them going out for drinks. Yeah, okay. And it's written in the book, you know, the gesture had gone miles for his pride. It was hard to try and treat a woman you were interested in when you knew that she could probably buy the establishment that you took her to. Which, again, I thought was a really interesting comparison to, like, when it's a man 
billionaire and they treat women, mm. they treat the women to like absolutely everything and it's never a question. Yeah, definitely. You know, it's like, oh yes, I will go in your helicopter and oh, <laughs> oh yes, like I absolutely do deserve this like five course meal at yeah. a fancy restaurant yeah. and there's never this question of like, oh, my pride means that I should take the tab or whatever. So is what you're saying essentially that because the roles were flipped in this book, it gave space to to even consider that there are like issues coming up with that. Yeah, I think I think the issues of class were raised kind of a bit more specifically. Because it was this. out of the norm. Yeah. And I mean maybe not it, again if you weren't reading into it. <laughs> it's so hard to tell what's <laughs> like what would it what would you normally pick up on if you were just reading it to like jerk off to <laughs> so they go to this work event and there's a quote that says the more she drank i think uh, to, to be fair i think this is tongue-in-cheek but i was still like Woof. the more she drank the easier it was to imagine she could just walk up to jason rip his clothes off and demand to have her way with him she was his boss that was allowed right no <laughs> no not not allowed <laughs> i think there are Many rules, HR many says laws no. <laughs> that say that is not allowed. Oh. And I think it's really interesting though, it's like the transcendence of like being a boss in the bedroom versus being a boss in the boardroom. Like mm. there are very distinct things. Well, yeah, I read a, um, so I went on to Quora. Oh, good. High quality <laughs> content. And there was a question saying, why are billionaire romance books so popular? Don't most of them have the same storylines of a CEO meeting a normal or poor girl? And Good question. <laughs> there weren't that many answers, but this one man who, who writes romance, apparently, oh. wrote, you know, after I'd completed one set, I felt there was nowhere, nowhere else to go. I realized the same thing you did. They're largely rich man meets poor or at least less rich woman. Would it work if the roles were reversed and rich woman met less rich man? It might simply turn into a dominant woman seduces male employee story. That might appeal to you, but I have no in- inclination that, to write it. Is that not the same? Yeah, it's, it's the exactly the same as what the male version is, but for some reason... It just stands out to him as a different... Yeah. Isn't that interesting? Yeah. Hmm. So it's like a, you know, oh, well, if it's a woman version, then it it flips. Yeah, that's... Okay. All right. Sure, Quora respondent. <laughs> If that's how you want to play it. I mean, the other respondent said, it's not exciting to have the heroine meet Bob the plumber and go through typical life problems. People read novels to get away from real life and into a world with money, beautiful locations and few limits. And, you know, I don't disagree with the, the last part of that. I don't know about the first part about Bob the plumber. Because, <laughs> like, is that less sexy than meeting, like, Jill the... Billionaire? <laughs> well, no, but like the equivalent oh, of Jill, the, like Jill the secretary, or yeah, Jill the exactly. hairdresser. Like, what's or... what's the difference there? You know? Yeah. Yeah. Well, I, I think that it really does tie into, especially in so more so in the romance genre than than erotica, given that there's a higher percentage of women readership in that space, and that part of the fantasy is upward class mobility. It's moving from maybe you're working class and you're moving up to middle class or maybe you're middle class and moving up to like billionaire (laughs) fucking status. That's part of the allure, I think. And so it wouldn't be as 
fulfilling to read something about, you know, your average Jane falling in love with your average Joe. But then, I mean, like, are rich women not reading romances? You know? Well, I actually read, I actually read an, an interesting article that, like, looked into kind of, like, the historical context of Harlequin novels. Mm. So... For those of you who've been listening in for a while, <laughs> will know that Harlequin is like one of the biggest publishers of romance novels. They are the publishing house that do, does Mills and Boone, for example. And they looked this this piece called Romancing the World, Harlequin Romances, The Capitalist Dream and the Conquest of Europe and Asia. And they essentially looked into... Harlequin's also owned by what's-his-face? Murdoch. Murdoch. <laughs> Just Evil. <laughs> Well, we're talking about class. Yeah, well, and it's it, like reading this, I was like, fuck, like you really can't. You, <laughs> it's so easy to look at a romance novel and be like, oh, this is just like a happy-go-lucky, like fun, fancy, free romance novel. It means nothing. And then reading into it, I was like, oh, it actually plays a really um, big role in in politics of not just between between men and women but also class politics and international politics and so I what essentially this piece argued was that in the early 20th century Harlequin novels kind of represented like this American ideal of capitalism and so as you're going through all kinds of international conflicts and essentially like a tension between capitalism and communism, Harlequin novels represented like this ideal of like wealth and financial mm. prosperity and American, like all American values mm. and, and these really like solid heteronormative family values and, and, and whatnot. And so once, um, like the Berlin Wall came down and, and there started to be a bit more of a pickup of like capitalist ideology across Eastern Europe. Like the, the, the sale of Harlequin novels like skyrocketed through wow. the roof. And there's this one little fact that stood out to me, like the Berlin Wall came down and with, within hours, Harlequin employees were handing out free books at all of the border crossings. Oh my God. They gave out about 720,000 books for free mostly for citizens in the former the former communist nations and that was like their first kind of encounter with democracy and mm. capitalism in this kind of like popular yeah, format and in a real like rose tinted glasses kind of like exactly vibe. yeah wow and so part of that was like they the novels like the fantasies are about financial empowerment just as much as they are about like romantic mm. fantasies and about um a lot of these, the women in these books also have a level of some, like some level of autonomy and this idea of like, if you're a working class woman, the prospect of dallying in a romance or marrying someone for love was really foreign at that point. It was like mm. you were marrying for uh, financial stability, mm. economy, or um, some kind of level of security. So this, it it represented so much more than just a love story, which I found really interesting. Anyway, getting to my point, <laughs> um, one of the things that stood out was that, like, for example, they also looked at Japan as a market for mm. Harlequin novels. And what they found was that, so this the sale of Harlequin novels um, did really well in Japan initially, but then once their economy grew to match that of America's, 
and that it lost that financial appeal. It lost the like aspirational kind of capitalism appeal. It stopped the, the sales essentially like plummeted because once it was just about the romance and all this kind of like Americana nonsense, yeah. the Japanese people were like, fuck this. And so what that's like, the idea is that now we've gone into billionaires because that's like, that's actually a step up that I guess. 90% of us are never going to achieve. Well, it's, it's like an aspirational to the next level. Yeah. And what what I, what 90%, 98%. <laughs> but what I thought was interesting was like, yeah, this point of like, once Japan reached this a similar level, that allure wasn't there anymore mm. for for just a plain old romance. Novel. But I mean, but it's interesting because the allure is still there for us, yeah, right, or for for Western nations because we're still buying these things. But True. when you look at things like Fifty Shades of Grey, all of that stuff is the billionaire story. Yeah, you're you know? not just as, you're not aspiring to like a middle manager. No, exactly. <laughs> you're not aspiring to exactly these like middle range you know middle class ideals anymore yeah. it's all like the one percent yeah the fantasy point. is that a billionaire will whisk you off in his helicopter yeah oh i just automatically gendered that <laughs> Gross. yeah we're disgusting um, but yeah i went down a real rabbit hole learning about all of that no that's super fascinating it's interesting isn't it yeah um it's a good time to take a break yeah that's true. <laughs> come back in, in a bit Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply, if rated PG. to the sexy part <laughs> of this book. Sorry, I didn't mean to like <laughs> spit. Esther Banks, the 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 author. Great characters. I didn't like the sex. Oh. <laughs> the sex was not great for me. Okay. Um but like great maybe for others? Oh yeah, maybe. I mean, I mean different yeah. strokes, different folks, <laughs> exactly. all of that. Something that came completely out of the blue and I, th- I think is actually worth an entire other podcast, but we won't talk about it here, is what happened is that her, Tamara's ex-partner, like, bursts into the office and mm-hmm. is obviously abusive. Oh. And Tamara gets very um, scared and is very kind of, like, uh, in, in shock and, and can't really deal with this. And, and this man bursts in and is essentially like, I want my fucking money blah, 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 I had to put up with you, you should pay me kind of vibe. Uh, and then when Jason tries to... I mean, that's not how shit relationships work. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> the amount of times I could bill shit men <laughs> yeah. terrible days. I my money. <laughs> yeah, and then when Jason tries to protect her, this, uh, I don't even remember his name, but this other character is like, you know, oh, I see that you're, you know, fucking this guy in your office now and then kind of leaves yelling about how they're in a relationship. So then Jason and Tamara, who have been not in a relationship, kind of, but but kind of are, mm-hmm. um, decide, fuck it, 
everybody knows now, let's just get into a relationship. Yeah. Right? And that's how the relationship goes on. And I think what is really problematic in particularly romance books is how they use instances of family violence and this abusive ex as a plot point. Yeah. It made me quite uncomfortable. I, I think it's happened a few times yeah. in, in books where there's like this abusive ex who acts as a an example of how this good guy yeah. can protect the woman from yeah. this ex. Yeah. And I think it's definitely something that we should kind of talk about a bit more in detail, but that is something that happens in this book as well. And then after this, they decide to to become official, Facebook official. <laughs> <laughs> and they start dating and they haven't had sex yet. Okay. So there's still like, there's so much build up. Quite a lot has happened at yeah, this point. Yeah, yeah. And they're about to have sex. Oh, they do kiss and she explains, she, she describes the kiss in this way that I thought was possibly the least sexy way of describing <laughs> a kiss. I'm glad that you're reading the least sexy bits to me. I know, like honestly... There's very little sex in this book. Like very, it's very just little sex. Money play. <laughs> They're just rubbing money on each other. Damn. I mean, that's gotta be a fetish, right? Yes, surely. I I would be into that. I was that. gonna say, I feel like I'd probably get on. Board. And money would feel good. I uh, think it's kind but of also cold, that I'd be like kinda It's filthy. <laughs> so many people have touched it. But, <laughs> um, so they kiss and I can't even remember when this is, but at some point they're kissing and It says, um, as his tongue delved boldly past her lips, the woman clung to him. It was only a few short moments before her own dexterous muscle snaked out to meet his. (laughs) Twining around it in an intricate and sensual dance that had him rising in his dress slacks. Oh, hello. (laughs) Dexterous tongue, though. Dexterous and twining around it. So I have this very snaked out. I have a very vivid memory of being in primary school and there being a challenge to oh tie tie a snake yeah. with your tongue yeah yeah and it being it was always kind of sexual it always was and and the teachers never said it obviously as they shouldn't but <laughs> it, I remember it very distinctly being like this is how you tell if someone's a good kisser <laughs> <laughs> yeah exactly it was this whole thing yeah Gross. so dexterous tongues. Uh, she's a fan and then they almost have sex and but it gets interrupted because uh, Tamara has to take a phone call uh, she's a very busy lady with a lot on her plate she has to take a phone call from Japan Uh, she's chatting away in Japanese and she has to run to the office pretty cool Um, anyway and then she comes back to his place afterwards this is like hours afterwards, right? Is it's, he just, he wasn't like strapped to the bed or something, was he? <laughs> no, no, no. He was asleep. It was okay. like 1 a.m. or okay. whatever. Okay. And she snuggles in and he's still hard. No, <laughs> no, he's not. But so, sure. Uh, she uh, uh, says, you know, his erection had not abated. How would she know? I mean, she wouldn't know, but also like he's just erect all the time. <laughs> And then the description of sex, I just have a couple a couple of examples. Mm-hmm. I think I think that she explains it like two or three times that they have that they have sex throughout this whole book. Never uses a condom. Oh. Yeah. It's just like But he is working class. <laughs> you should be 
<laughs> it was meant to be a joke, but it came out really snobby. That <laughs> was so good. I, I mean that in jest. Oh, God. Um, <laughs> Your so face. I really caught you off guard there. <laughs> so the thing that kind of got me about this is it's like normally, I mean, generally speaking, it's, there's, there's three ways, I think, that people talk about sex in these books from what I've worked out. It's either you explicitly talk about a condom, you don't mention it, like you, you don't mention anything about it, or it's like quite explicit that they haven't used a condom. Yeah. Yeah. And this one is quite explicit that no condom has been oh. used. <laughs> Firstly, there's this part that I thought you would appreciate. It says, you know. His kisses stole her labored breath and soon he was so deep that she could swear that each stroke kissed her womb. Ugh, I hope it didn't. <laughs> Just For her sake. Painful. <laughs> Stop. Go to the Try doctor. a different position. <laughs> but, um, so we have these two things that, that brought up the condom issue. Their bodies were straining against each other and a hoarse shout escaped him. I quite liked the fact that he made noises. Doesn't often yeah. happen in these yeah. in the books. It's but. not it's not a common reference in a book. It's also I feel like it's not super like commonly acknowledged in like everyday life. Yeah, more men should make noises. Absolutely, I'm a fan of a man. Making I need noises. A, a little signal. I like, need some feedback. Is this okay? Yeah, is this good. Are you? Do you enjoy? I mean, this? It doesn't have to be like. Ugh. <laughs> in fact, maybe don't. <laughs> Similar to women. I mean, it doesn't have to be like. Ugh. Or like, or like ah! <laughs> yeah. yeah. Anyway, so <laughs> a horse shout escaped him <laughs> as she felt his warmth gush between her thighs. Is that him coming? Well, yeah. His warmth. His warmth. Okay. His warmth Sorry, I'm not picking gushing. up on all of that. His warmth is gushing, Sam. <laughs> of course it is. Okay. The other one, pressing his hips flush against hers, he cleaved deep, making her gasp seconds before the warmth of him coated her inner walls. I mean... Uh, it feels uh, like a Jackson Pollock painting at yeah. that point. <laughs> yeah. It's quite violent. Cleaved just makes me think of like one of those... Sheathed? Bi- well, yeah, but also one of those like big knives. Those big like... Cleavers? Yes, a cleaver. <laughs> yes, actually, that's exactly what I meant. Thank you. <laughs> it's weird how that would make you think of that. <laughs> Whatever. Um, so they have sex. No condoms. <laughs> yeah. Is the point of that? You know. So in my opi- in in my opinion, the only time it would be okay, really, nowadays, for it to be explicitly without a condom is if there is also some kind of context for that being okay. Exactly, right? Like uh, some sort of conversation about them being in a monogamous relationship, which so often these stories are. Yeah. Then why not have a throwaway line about yeah, it or something? It doesn't need to be much. So much of these stories often revolve around, the plot point is is around like, are we monogamous? Is this a thing? Is this serious or not? If that's a pl- plot point, why isn't the condom usage also tied to that well, plot could be point? Sim- yeah, it could be symbolic of it as well. Mm. And be like, well, now that we're monogamous, you can be inside me freely. <laughs> skin to skin. <laughs> oh, this got to a gross place today. Your penis can kiss my womb. <laughs> oh, no. If no, if people, anyone listening 
doesn't find that upsetting, like, please just Google a diagram. <laughs> yeah, no penis should be kissing wounds. No. It's going to be painful. So the story, to, to, to finish up, essentially her ex kidnaps her. Fuck. Yeah. No, it gets real. Like, he kidnaps her. It was, like, going along quite nicely until that <laughs> yeah, point. Yeah, it gets... He kidnaps her and uh, has a gun to her head. Fuck. And... America. And, um... <laughs> Shit. Then the police, for some reason, allow Jason to come along on their kind of, like, they've discovered who it is. And also, they take so long trying to find out who it is, and it's, like, very obvious that it's that it's her ex. I mean, it should be number one suspect, right? Right. Um, after Jason, probably. Um, then they, they save her, and then Jason then becomes very protective mm. of her because he's very worried about, you know, the fact that she's rich. And that she's always going to be a target for blackmailers and people trying to do her harm to try and get money. Because that's what this guy was after. Right. And then they break up. Oh. 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 (laughs) Because she's like, well, this is who I am. Like, if you can't handle it, then you need to leave. Also, like, she probably has security for this exact job. Well, this guy got through the security. Yeah. Okay. So, yeah. And then there's this discussion about how, you know, Jason used to just want to go to the local burger joint, but now he wants to go somewhere. He's just be a regular old man. <laughs> now he wants to go somewhere that has, like, security all of the time, right? And then there's this whole Notting Hill-esque mm-hmm. moment where she has decided she's going to step down from the company because she can't deal with it anymore because she doesn't have Jason and she's just, like, sad about No, Tamara! No. <laughs> and then Jason's like, I love you and I'm willing to stick by, like, I'm sorry that I left and I'm willing to stick by you even if you get kidnapped for your money and, and for mergers and, and whatever. Right. And I thought it was quite interesting that, like, her class, her position as having money was used in this story as a weakness. Yeah, that's fascinating to me. Whereas... It's never used that way for men. No, because normally, so because the this the stereotypical story is that it's the lower class woman and the higher class man. That's yes. the sort of formula, right? Like I got quite in deep in the academia of all of this because there's a there's a relatively I just no, it's not a large amount. There's a relatively <laughs> small amount of academia around sort of classism in romance novels, and one of the things about it is is that there's this common sort of trope of if you've got it's like this fantasy of like star-crossed lovers kind of thing and it's like the love is strong enough that it can bridge the gap between their two worlds or whatever Mm. but the cost of that is that the lower class person normally has to sacrifice their behavior their Mm. family their upbringing their way of life and join the the, whoever the person is who's in the, the upper class to become essentially worthy of mm. their love. And we see that in all kinds of pop culture. The main one that stood out to me was My Fair Lady because that's a classic example. Yeah. Um, but what I find really interesting about this story is that even though the roles have been reversed, it seems like there's something about the gender and maybe the race as well that's – playing in there that that she's still the one sacrificing or at least toying with sacrificing her yeah. position and i uh, yeah absolutely but i mean it's also interesting in that i think there is an aspect of that him sacrificing 
his position for her in mm. that, like, now that I'm thinking about it, the whole story, we never meet Jason's family. Yeah, right. We meet all of her family, mm. you know? Like, we know where they come from, what their interests are, all of that. Jason is just this, like, person who who was created out of nothing yeah. to be there for Tamara. Yeah, of course. Which, yeah, okay. which is kind of interesting. But also, the thing is, like, he's not... He's not her secretary. He's not her PA. He's the manager of the public affairs, yeah. like part of the organization. So he's one of the managers of this business. He's not like, he's not low on the food chain, right? No, like, no it's, it's not nothing. Yeah. He's still, and, and the way that they talk about it, he's still presented as like really knowledgeable, really on top of his stuff, like very respected in his work, which doesn't happen with women. No, they're, they're often positioned as, you know, like we saw with 50 shades of gray kind of bumbling, clumsy, clumsy. you know, damsels in distress. Yeah. yeah. Whereas this is seen as, you know, Jason's quite on top of it. And then when Tamara is kidnapped, she's positioned in this damsel in distress role. To be fair, she doesn't, it's not entirely like she's not helpless. She really kind of gets herself out of it. But then him, and then it's also interesting that him protecting her becomes the problem, mm-hmm. right? In their relationship that he's kind of too protective of her at this point and she can't deal with it anymore because she's quite an independent character. He often mentioned that he was like intimidated by her. Yeah. And that when they broke up, there was a line saying, you know, I guess, I guess I, he wasn't supposed to be with a powerful woman. Mm, okay you know so so there is something intrinsically different about having a class difference where the woman is of a higher class than than the man yeah um so what happens in the end of the book then oh they get together like they get they they, oh so she's stepping sorry (laughs) they broke up (laughs) No, no 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 so she's like i'm stepping down from the company and her friends knock on his door essentially and they're like do you know that she's stepping down from the company he's like what the fuck no and so he races over there a la notting hill yeah and is like don't step down from the company i love you you know this this company is is who you are support you whatever (laughs) you want to (laughs) yeah like i'll support you i'm so sorry i was an idiot Blah blah blah, and then she's also. Like, I love money. <laughs> also, it's great that you're a billionaire. Um, I want a beautiful bathtub. <laughs> and so they, and so they end up together. Right. Yeah. Happily ever after. Yeah. So it's, um, and I'm sure that's the last time that class ever causes rifts in their relationship. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. They'll be totally fine. I have a lot it's of... It's not like they have a completely different upbringing, completely <laughs> different experiences and social expectations, whatever. Nah, that'll be good. That'll be good. I've got a lot of faith. So one of the things I was looking at online was essentially like, oh my God, why are there so many stories about billionaires? you know, how many billionaires can there possibly be in the world? Which I'm like, flawed argument because it's fiction. It's a fantasy. Yeah. Like how many fucking dukes are there, well, were there in the 19th Duke? century? Duke? He's not a duke. <laughs> Sorry. But then I was like, how many billionaires are there in the world? Did you Google it? I how did, many are there? As of March 18 in 2019, Forbes counted 2,095 billionaires. Okay, that's Which, not that many. I mean, it's more than I thought. It is more than I thought as well, but it's, it's yeah, not that many. Um, But 
Forbes, their, their paragraph on this, I just found so fucking funny. Um, for those of you who haven't yet guessed, billionaires are dumb and shouldn't exist. Um, <laughs> Eat them all. <laughs> Eat the rich. <laughs> but this whole, like the first paragraph was like, the richest people on earth are not immune to the coronavirus. <laughs> yeah. Uh, global equity markets imploded, tanking many fortunes. As of March 18, when we finalized this list, Forbes counted 2,095 billionaires, 58 fewer than a year ago. Oh, no. And 226 fewer than just 12 days earlier. Oh. When we initially calculated these net worths, of the billionaires who remain, 51% are poorer than they were last year. Oh, what a shame. In raw terms, the world's billionaires are worth $8 trillion which is down $700 billion. You know what? Once you start talking about billion dollars and trillion dollars, it means nothing. I don't give a no- fuck. It means nothing to me I don't give a fuck point. about stop how it. down you stop, are. Stop right now. Like, Has Jeff Bezos ended world hunger? Not no. today. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God. I hate them so much. And the so, fact that they can't, like, l- the fact that they look in their mirror and they're not sickened with <laughs> self-disgust. I hope there are any billionaires listening to their podcast. Oh, genuinely though, like, yeah, it's not cool. Yeah, your wealth is a scam. Yeah, we're all suffering, and you suck. Yeah, <laughs> if anybody's into capitalism, you should probably stop listening. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> all right, so I've got one last like cerebral point. Love a cerebral point. I mean, what kind of podcast would this be? <laughs> so this is from this article that I read called Slippery When Wet, The Shifting Boundaries of the Pornographic, (laughs) A Class Analysis. And this was like quite a long piece and there was lots in it that was really like, it was, it was really good. I really, really enjoyed it. But something that stood out to me as like an overarching thing to consider in this discussion around class and romance and erotica was kind of this idea of like, when we talk about what is erotica and what is pornography the sort of classic feminist discourse around that often overlooks a really classist element when it comes to like what is considered to be legitimate and what's considered to be illegitimate like culture essentially and it kind of ties into this idea that we've spoken to about before about like what is highbrow and what is lowbrow Mm. essentially or what is art and what is smart is kind of like this dichotomy and so reading some of the quotes from these sort of like really well-known feminists who I, uh, and I'm sure you also have some, take some issues with. I'm talking like <laughs> Dworkin and like McKinnon and whatnot. Yeah. Um, so like quite prominent feminists in like the porn wars of second wave feminism and how a lot of their disgust that was expressed around pornography or anything to do with sex, sex workers, any kind of eroticism, um, and this idea of this disgust being like grounded in not just a gendered thing, because it's often just framed as a gendered thing, but really that being like coming down to this class issue of it being like, it's not high art, it's just filth of the body, essentially. It's violent, it's rough, loveless, it's the quotations, bad kind of sex, mm. whereas something that's you know perceived perceived as art is kind of like this love making or like the the good kind of sex 
with like the nuance and the nice lighting and the mm. angles and all of the artistic prose around it. And I think you can still see it in things today with like the difference between bondage and shibari, for yeah. instance. Yeah. Like, you know, oh, if you're a rigger, then, you know, it's high art that you're yeah. kind of doing these things because maybe you tie someone up, but you don't stick anything in an orifice and yeah. therefore it's it's art and you tie someone up and you just take beautiful black and white photography <laughs> of it yeah and don't get me wrong like fucking love it froth here shibari for it. yeah here for it <laughs> absolutely and i do think it's beautiful but you know there's a real i think we need to really question when we're making those judgment calls about what is high art it's just erotic art and what is smart and should be kind of looked down on yeah definitely it's so important to recognize that there is like a, there's a hierarchy. There's a social hierarchy of, of what is and isn't art and that things to do with sex play a part in that. Mm. And also what struck me as well when reading about this and when listening to you talk about this is like, if you remember when we were talking about Fanny Hill, which is actually the story, a romanticized story about the life of a sex worker back in like what the 16th, 17th mm. century, and a lot of early like erotic literature works were, that is inherently caught up in dialogue around class because all kinds of conversations around sex work to this day is still wrapped up in ideas of class and stigma around class. So I had a point. (laughs) No, I think that's really interesting though. We haven't really spoken about sex work thus far on the episode, but it is something that is so wrapped up in class and yeah. and class wars and around the choice to be a sex worker yeah. and, and things like that that I think people need to keep in mind. Yeah. Yeah, so, I mean, if by the end of this episode we haven't ruined most erotic <laughs> stories for you, probably we'll get, not doing our job. <laughs> we'll get there eventually. <laughs> Would you fuck a billionaire? Uh, I don't see how I would like a billionaire. Yeah. Well, I mean, good luck having a fantasy about anything now. (laughs) Bye. (laughs) Mm, Books love.